Hi, and welcome to the Let's Talk Melbourne podcast, a place for critical conversation, curiosity, and the big picture from the city of Melbourne. I'm your host, Vikas Raheja, and let's get started. What is good journalism? What is journalism in the world of alternative alternate facts or fake news and social media news consumption? Where is good journalism and how do people go to get fact-based news? Today, we've got a very special guest in our studio to talk about this and more. And uh, I will request my guest to introduce, you may be familiar, you might, you might have seen him on television, but I'll, I'll <laughs> let my guest introduce himself. Vic, I'm usually wearing a suit, so maybe um, <laughs> the t-shirt's giving it away. Uh, my name is Blake Johnson and uh, yeah, I work for Channel 7 News, uh, reporting on the uh, 7 News uh, Melbourne team. I've uh, been here six and a half years before that, spent eight and a half years working for 7 in Perth, so all up 15 years with the 7 Network. Awesome. And I have to say I'm a bit starstruck today because I've used to seeing you on television or when you're moonlighting as an influencer on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> so to see you in person is different. Influencer, um, that's, I, yeah, that's a, that's, a long, that's a bit of a stretch, but I'll take it. I, that's why I said moonlighting, I, to quote unquote. I, that, I mean that as a compliment, by the Thank way. Thank you. Okay. I'll take it. <laughs> well, welcome to Let's Talk Melbourne. Uh, this is a podcast we do. And before we start, I have to thank our sponsors, Construct Mart and Flows Trading and Clearance Center and Adoria Jewel. So thank you for your sponsorship. Uh, Blake, before we start the podcast, Let's Talk Melbourne, if I had to make you walk down memory lane, when was the first, or do you remember the first time you said, okay, I want to take journalism as a career? I do. It's a little bit grim. Yeah. September 11, 2001. I was 15. Yep. I was at boarding school in Perth. And as was the whole world, transfixed by the events that happened. And I just have this distinct memory that I was watching the world change. Yeah. Even at the age of 15. And live. Yeah, live. Live, yeah. And that was my first um, real introduction to rolling news coverage. Um, And I remember sitting up late at night at boarding school shocked into silence and then the next day watching it and then the year later for the one year commemorations still being so interested in it and seeing these people at work the the reporters live television it just sparked something in me and then from there in that same year my year 11 English teacher I never thought I was particularly good at oral presentations but I did one in 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 that year and he said you've got a natural flair for it like you're quite good at it and it was that unlocking key in my mind moment that was yeah. like, oh, maybe I, maybe I can do this. Um, so yeah, I made your world event and one positive teacher guided me towards where we are today. And weren't you scared to get into this profession at the time or was it just that trigger or if trigger is the right word or was that spark that, spark mm. that sort of made you say, okay, Mate, I'm, I'm still do this. scared. Like I still get nerves. Yeah. When After I'm, so many years? Of course. I think okay. it's natural and I think... I encourage the nerves because generally speaking, when you're on your toes, you perform a little better, right? Yep. I think if you get comfortable in life, that's when you start to make mistakes or your work's not as good as it as it could be. Um, yeah, there's still times when I'm shaping up for a live cross, when it's breaking news, haven't had much time to get my thoughts together and they're like, in your ear, you've got 30 seconds till you're on. Yep. And you think, oh, jeez, what, oh, what am I going to do? Yep. yep. And then it becomes instinct. Just yep. tell the story in the clearest concise, most efficient way without putting a spin on it. Fair enough. Now, 
I mean, interesting you mentioned 9-11 because the sort of, it, I mean, if you look at the world, it's pre-9-11 and post-9-11, broadly speaking, for at least for millennials like me, who sort of grew up in this, in this uh, at that time. And it was during that post-9-11 world where, you know, people started to sort of get a big bit um, suspicious of news because, you know, there were a lot of, like even New York Times and a lot of people came out and said, you know, it was the right thing to go into Iraq and later on everyone realized it wasn't. Right. And now in the pro post Trump era, uh, you know, they coined the word fake news and or at least bring yeah. it to mainstream consumption. With great success. With too. great success. How do you grapple with this level of skepticism uh, that people have towards journalism in general? Does it frustrate you? And, and how do you then sort of make your way around it? How do you navigate these sorts of challenges? It does frustrate me because it's a very easy out for people to discredit you or try to discredit you. Yeah. And as we said, Trump's done that particularly well, labelling everything he disagrees with as fake news. Fake news, yeah. I think it's starting to wear off a little bit now. Yeah, you think? I think I think that okay. term fake news, it's just become overused. Yeah. And there's only one defense for that, and that's the truth. If you, If I know in my heart that I'm doing reporting the truth, yep. doing the best I can, then that's all I need to sleep easy at night. Because like, it doesn't really matter if the person next door thinks... Thinks that or not, yeah. 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 They, they may choose to watch us. They may choose to think that we're bullshit. I, I'd hope they wouldn't. Yeah. But I get it. People have preconceived ideas about news, especially mainstream media. Yeah. Even the term MSM, mainstream media, that's kind of a term of derision so, these exactly, days. Exactly, yeah. Um, there's, only, there's only so much marketing that can get past that. I think you've just got to keep doing a good job. And the fact that we're still here, yep. we still get paid to do it. We still, I believe, do a pretty good job of representing what's going on in Melbourne every day. Yep. Um, that track record eventually speaks for itself more than any two-word catch cry, fake news or yeah. MSM no, will, 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 will last. Uh, definitely frustrating though. Like it's yeah. So you work hard. We work really hard. And then for someone just to think that that can dismiss can your work yeah, yeah. with that term. Yeah. Um, but in the sense, I, I think in America, it's sort of, it's fired up the news industry, you know, yeah. like they work even harder now because, you know, they're, they're like, why, why would you try to discredit us? Exactly. And now as we're seeing, you know, with Trump, um, there's, there's that alternate version of facts that he likes to present or that people who support him might like to present. Yeah. And soon enough, you dig deep enough and a lot of those claims just get debunked pretty quickly yeah and so just you just a bit on this one and then we can move on to the next next topic which is like what made you choose electronic media versus print media and is that the right way to describe uh, as in yeah digital digital yeah, 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 TV. Yeah, yeah. well um uh, to be honest i never had visions of being a journalist i just loved television that was probably what the september 11 reference was heading towards um i used to be obsessed with sport so watching the sport on the news every night. And any then, kind of sport? Or? Yeah. I was, as okay. a kid, I was obsessed with anything. Yeah. And so it was that love of live television that really got me started. Then I realized that because I'm not an elite athlete, nor do I have particular connections in the commentary world, that I was probably not going to make it as a sports broadcaster. So I had to try something else. Yeah. So I ended up being, when I was 21, doing work experience at a country TV station, GWN, which is the equivalent of Prime here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did some work experience there in the newsroom and on my first week as a work experience kid got a story to wear 
about a car accident just outside Bunbury, which is in the southwest of WA. And again, it was that unlock moment. Like They were like, oh, that's pretty good. I thought I'd done a terrible job. <laughs> but all it takes sometimes in life is, you know, um, what is it, that Lady Gaga quote? There could be 99 people in the room. Yeah. And, and if one person believes you, that's all you need. I think I might be paraphrasing Lady Gaga there. But yeah. essentially, if you doubt yourself and others might, sometimes it's just that one person that believes in you can unlock that. And so for me, I never really dreamt of becoming a print journo or... Um, or uh, even writing so much long form. To me, it was it was using the pictures, it was using the sound. The visuals. Was, yeah. yeah. And that buzz of live television, I still... Yeah. It's exciting. I, oh, I love that moment yeah, when you hear I'm the so news theme in your ear yeah. and shit's going down and you know you've got to, <laughs> you've got to tell the world about it. Fair enough. Mate, do you have any memories of the one story that you covered or broke and it was like, and you were like, oh my God, this is like an adrenaline, you know, adrenaline junkie type rush i think it's different for everyone um some people get off on breaking the big exclusive and sure that's great um to me my strength my passion is like breaking news so yep um unfortunately in news it, that generally means that there's something bad's happened when yeah you, when you get yep. that rush you know take it back to 9-11 for example yeah probably some of the most significant stories in my time have been you know bushfires yeah um uh, the start of the pandemic which was a very um Exciting. I'm not sure if that's the right word. Uh, shocking time. Yeah. Remember those first couple of weeks in March yeah. 2020? Yeah. Every hour there was something yeah. new. That was sort of a, a feeling I've never experienced. Um, Burke Street, the two Burke Street incidents yeah. in Melbourne yeah. in 2017 and um, the next right. year, 2018. Yes. Yeah. They, we were, I was on the front line of that. And that was, again, a moment where you feel like something's changing. You feel like a, a bit of Melbourne... Turned a little bit dark, maybe a little bit, a little, a little yeah. part of it died inside. Yeah, yeah. It's recovered. Yeah. But I'll never forget that first Burke Street attack with the car, um, corner of Burke and William Streets where we were set up. Yeah. And there was a mangled stroller. Yep. On the ground. Yeah. Silence. I know. That was, hor yeah. The trams were stopped in the middle of the street. Yeah. There was cars. It was like a movie set had yeah. finished for the day. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that would that will stay that haunting. So you could hear the city going on behind you and on the other side of the roadblock. Yeah, but for that point in time, life had stopped in the heart of Melbourne. Yeah, and I was pretty new, pretty new to Melbourne at that stage, and just remember thinking, "Oh my goodness, like something something bad has happened here," and and a little bit of Melbourne has changed that day. I agree. That was that was a painful moment for the city. Hugely painful. Hugely painful, and. Unforgettable, painful, and and quite grim, yeah. Now the yeah. city really came together. You know, the next day there was two thousand, you know, flowers. Yes, um, yeah. In the mall. But that's the good thing about Melbourne, right? Like, no matter what happens, the city comes together. Yeah, it's it able to always grieve. Always comes together. It's able to celebrate yeah. and heal and heal. Yeah, and we've done that over the last three years, haven't we? I know. I mean, if the lockdown was any testament, with all the challenges, yes, the city came together and did what they had to, which was which is, I think, fantastic. Yeah, tough times in that pandemic. The city was a very angry place. Yeah, and we were, you know, at at the at the forefront of it, um, copying it every day. It was I, it, a lot of people, a lot of journalists didn't last the pandemic. Yes, it took their toll. It took its toll, and I think people lost the passion for the game. Do you think that was specifically in Victoria, or do you think nationwide that was the case for journalists? Probably more accentuated in Victoria. Yeah. 
it was a real challenge every day reporting on the same thing and trying to make it different and the only thing people cared about was when is this lockdown going to end? end yeah um and you look back on it now and the way we treat COVID is so wildly different that you can't help but think like there was a time should, when should we have done things differently yeah yeah and uh now speaking about the fun side yeah what is because you know melbourne we've got Throughout the calendar year, we've got so many things happening. We start off with Australian Open, Grand Prix, Grand Prix, then the footies on, then the Melbourne Cup, and then in between, you've got Food and Wine Festival and hundred other events, comedy festival. What's the most fun thing that you look forward to as a reporter and as a Melbourneian? Um, oh, as a reporter, it's a couple of things. I think footy, the footy season starting, and also footy finals. Do you have a team that you? I go for West Coast. Growing up in Perth. So this, you know, last year and this year, not so much about my team, but that's fine. <laughs> it's good fun. Melbourne's a great city when the local teams are up and about. I don't think you have an appreciation for that growing up interstate. Yeah. You know, growing up in Perth, it was just Eagles or Dockers and nothing else mattered. You come here and, and it's um, it's more part of your bloodline than it is, <laughs> it is anywhere else. So footy season starting is, a, is fantastic. March yeah. is an amazing month in Melbourne. The weather's perfect. Yeah. Uh, you've got all those events. Yeah. And and the city, as we, as we said together, like it was able, you know, the city grieves and celebrates and and heals together. It parties together. Like Melbourne, n- Melbourne loves an event. Rain, oh, hail, yes. or shine, baby. We'll, we'll be there. Yeah, we'll be there. So from a journalist perspective, love the events. Yeah. Um. Uh. And also, I think from a from a living in Melbourne in Melbourne, I think the two weeks of this round and open are two of the greatest weeks of the year. I think yeah. grand final week's fantastic. It's amazing. You see, you meet so many people from all over the world, which you would normally wouldn't. Yeah. yeah. And that's one thing about Melbourne that no other city, maybe Sydney, but Sydney doesn't get behind its events like Melbourne no. does. I think there's a real community spirit with events here, whereas in Sydney, I feel like... Everyone's precious about their suburbs. Here? No, in Sydney. in Sydney. Well, I think they're precious about their <laughs> suburbs here as well. But, but there's still, as you said, a sense of community. Yeah. Like if there's a game at MCG, regardless of where you live, everyone goes and, there. Yeah, and you might not be supporting the team, but you'll exactly. get into the vibe and, and, yeah. and just go. Yeah. And Sydney kind of gets behind its, you know, specifically at a sport level yeah. um, when their teams are doing well or when it's flat, yeah, when it's right. fashionable to do so. Yeah. Well, Melbourne has to work hard at its personality. Sydney's the pretty sister. <laughs> Melbourne has the personality. And yes. so I think the more vibrant, vivacious one. Yes. Yes. It's got the good banter. It's yes. got the good sense of humor. Good it's food. Good food. It's always up for a good time. And we love to drink. We do. Like we're having beer right now. So, you know, I'm not even sorry about I'm that. I'm actually spilling it on my shirt. So I'm not doing a very good job of, of drinking. This is a podcast. We, we are su- we're not supposed to be prim and proper. Yeah. We have to own. I'll take your lead. Yes. Um, and I'm just fascinated to know, like, do you have any favorite journalists in the world? And I'm always curious about this because I have a few, like, uh, I'm always looking forward on every Sunday to read what, say, Nick, like Maureen Dowd in New York Times has to write. Do you? Yeah. Yeah, right. What Nicholas Kristof has to write. I have read every word Wesley Morris has ever written. Um, wow. And even from movie reporting, like, Carl Buchanan, and I mean, it's, it's so. I have a New York Times subscription, so probably I follow the journalist more there, which is a bit biased there. But I'm always curious to know a journalist's point of view f- about other journalists. Like, are there any journalists that you say follow, idolize, or or, or have a sense of kinship with? And it could be any yeah. from any time and space. You know, you, you not space, sorry, any time or region. Yeah. In the lead up to this interview, I think you, you had that question in the email, yeah. and I, it, I've been stewing over it for. A, a couple of weeks, struggling to come up with an answer because yes. I, oh, I'll give you one. Annabelle Crabb. Yes, love of course, Annabelle Crabb. Of course, yes. I think she's fantastic. Yep. She has a natural ability to have 
to use her her intelligence to ask really good questions. Yeah. But then she's also and she hasn't forgotten the ability to be a normal person in her yeah. job. Like Kitchen Cabinet, that show when she interviewed politicians in in their kitchen, was fantastic. Yes. I love that blend of, for want of a better word, lifestyle. And news, like personality and news is so important. Yeah. And it was disarming for, for yes. us to watch it. It was so disarming because it was very, it was like, okay, it was just talking to someone. Yeah. I think yeah. we forget that there are humans behind yeah. the, 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 you know, the politician, the, politician, the, yeah. the, the, the journalist, whatever the, the high power job is. Um, and I think it's important to, um, to lift the lid on that because there's only so much that um, a job title will tell you about someone especially when they're in a position of power. Yep. And so to crack them open a little bit and see what's under the surface yep. is so, not not in every instance, you know, when there are heavy serious issues at, at bay then, you know, you want to know about the serious policy and the and and the and the issues at hand, but then I think it's also important to have the the background context of why that person's making those decisions and perhaps what's led them to that. Um so that's one person Annabel Crab I so I kept leaning towards in answering your question, like styles of journalism. Yeah, love like sh- like short, sharp writing. Yep, really concise. Yeah, as fewer words as possible. Not a fan of like long prose. Um, so I think from that perspective, it really depends on the story. I love reading feature pieces about, um, for example, Anzac Day. I covered the dawn service. Um, you know, on this one on uh, on Anzac Day, the twenty fifth. And I read a piece uh, in the Herald Sun about the the sort of the vibe of the day, and it was so beautifully written. Yeah. Just an observant piece about what's going on, and I think that's what I love about this job is you get to observe, and and take the temperature of a city or particular part of the city about yep. an issue that you're working on. Yep. And that to me is a great privilege to be able to get access to people and places, see the vibe, what's happening, and then tell other people about it. I always relate it to like when you've got a really good story, you can't wait to tell your mates, get this, get this. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, for the most part, we get to do that every day. And that is awesome. I love journalists. I remember and, and when, this is sort of funny, when David uh, Farenthal from the Washington Post won the Pulitzer Prize, they were announcing it and there was a video on Twitter because he did amazing reporting on the Trump Foundation mm-hmm. um, thing. And I watched that video of, of that announcement a couple of times and I had no idea who this guy was. Until, I mean, I, I had read him, but I didn't know how he looked like. But it's one of those things that I think we as consumers of news and, and we, it, as a general public speaking, um, we take a lot of pride when journalists do well. It's true. Whether we consciously may want to admit that or realize that or not, I do feel news and journalism gives us that oxygen that we we so desperately need. Yeah, yeah I, I I genuinely believe that. Yeah, I think it's a yeah. it's definitely an important job, um, and and you've got your favourites, and that's good. That means you trust them, you respect them. I trust them, but I also have learned to appreciate what they bring to the table because it's a very non-partisan, fact-based, but at the same time giving a very giving a view and not just not giving a view, which is not from a partisan lens. It's hard to explain, but. It's like a very fact-based one, but they also take the time to call out the bullshit. Yeah, yeah. provide a bit of context. Context, exactly. Rather than Thank just, you. Yeah, rather than just rambling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and that's the challenge in today's news world, is that we're having to produce more yeah. with less, yeah. fewer people, fewer resources. And providing that context is so important, yet increasingly difficult, because yeah. you've got another deadline, you've got another hourly bulletin. Um, so 
for you to be able to recognize that in someone's writing is great because it's uh, I, especially with political stuff when yeah. there are claims made and yeah and and facts fact check, yeah. in inverted commas thrown out yeah. or you know funding announced well is it new funding has it been announced before but you're just spinning the words around so it sounds new yeah that's the kind of important work that has to be done rather than just being a mouthpiece even if you're not taking sides being a mouthpiece yeah um it's not a great deal to regurgitate. It's not a great help to society to regurgitate a press a press release, but it is increasingly difficult to get the time to do that. It's a, ch- it's a real challenge. No, great. Now, two questions I'm going to ask you. Is that firstly, what advice would you give to someone who wants to take up journalism as a career? Be flexible. Yep. You can have to be flexible. You're going to have to be um, agile. Um, prepared to, 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 to move talk, around. Talk to, talk to us about agile. How like how can you de- distill that a bit? So I think agility comes in many forms. In news, you're going to have to be prepared to cover different different um, topics that you're not necessarily familiar with. Which yep. is, it's just a fair given, given you're a journalist, you cover yep. a lot of things. But also the medium in which you cover it. Um, when I started out in television, social media was very much in its infancy. We certainly didn't have a presence online. Now, social media for a news outlet is an enormous part of our day-to-day business. And it drives content. It drives drives, uh, revenue. It drives uh, marketing. And it's a great way to get out and about. So that, in a sense, we've had to be agile and learn to adapt to that while still maintaining our um, flagship product, the 6 p.m. news. There are other ways to to work... um, to get your brand out there. Um, I think you're going to have to be prepared if you're a new journalist, like start in the country, not a big deal. I did, did 18 months in the bush in WA, had the best 18 months of my life. Yeah. At that age, 21, you're on your own out, you're on your own out in the country. You get to sink your teeth into stories that would yeah. take you years to get the opportunity to get if you started in Metro. Like, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. the premier would come to town when I was living in Kalgoorlie in the gold fields and, you know, there's me asking the premier questions at 21 because um, I've started in the country. So you might have a preconceived idea, and I did. I wanted to be a sports journal. I wanted to be a sports prisoner, a commentator. That eventually went out the window, um, but you'll find a passion for something else along the way. Yeah. And uh, probably an unfair question. And, and, and do should journalists have politics, personal politics? Do, and, and Well, they have to, don't they? But does it have to come into their work? That's what I was going to ask you. And, and how do you sort of navigate that challenge? Well, unless you're setting out to... to how, so, so to sort of question is that, you know, one of the things which annoys me is when people just randomly say stuff like, oh, this journalist is partisan. Because it, you cannot help but be to an extent, but at the same time, you can't help but be fact. Do you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, well, I think it's... Uh, you'd be... You wouldn't be human if you didn't exactly have, yeah. a, have an opinion about something, yeah. and whether it's politically in line or not. I think the great skill in journalism is being able to portray both sides. Now, that's a very subjective thing because yeah. if I present a report and your take on it might be very different to what you know your your understanding of being partisan or bipartisan um, in a particular way would be very different to what I think. Yes, agree. So yes, that's the great thing about news; it is subjective. Much like people say. Why is this news? Why is this a story? Well, it's you might important. not think it is, yeah. but other people did. I did a story this week, interviewed a 34-year-old millionaire who just bought 
a penthouse. I did see that, yes. And it was a record sale for an apartment. How do you afford it? Anyway, that's a well, story. Well, <laughs> he's much smarter and richer than I. Yeah. Um, you know what? It's not going to win a Walkley Award. It, won't, it wasn't, wasn't going to lead the bulletin. But I tell you what, it's still interesting to know how a 34-year-old man can afford a $39 million apartment that he's going to use only on weekends. So from that perspective... I was like, that's clearly why we're doing the story. But people might go, well, you should be spending more time doing this. And that's a valid criticism. It's not necessarily meaning that you're right, I'm wrong, or that I'm right, you're wrong. Um, the great thing about news is that it's so subjective. So coming back to that original question, you, you just have to do your best. Like, the, the, I don't think there's a particular formula other than, you know, getting both sides of the story. Yep. Um, that that's right or wrong. The other thing about getting both sides of the story, harking back to what we we're saying before, is context. Yeah. Like how much how much voice do you give to one side of the argument Correct. compared to the other? Yeah. And that's a judgment call that has to come from the newsroom. The good thing about a newsroom is that there are a lot of personalities. There's lots of political sways, um, political persuasions, um, genders, age, you name it. So it's not when I write something, I, I ain't the only one that's writing it, and it's going to wear untouched. It goes through several people. Yep. Um, you're also in the car with a cameraman who can bounce stuff, yes. or camera operator who can bounce yep. stuff off with. You've got one producer who's looking after you. You've got the executive producer who goes through your script. And you've got the news director as well, plus the editor in the video suite, all of whom have a particular way of seeing things. So the more eyes that can see it in the newsroom, the better. And I think that's how you ensure that things get done properly. You you put it to a lot of people. Yep. And you work out the way through it. Way through it. We have tough discussions sometimes. Like I can imagine, yeah. Arguments. People get pissed off that, yeah. you know, the producer thinks they should be doing something differently. Um, we had an argument yesterday about a story in the bulletin that some people thought should, shouldn't be in there, so others did. And it's part of a healthy democracy, I guess, is that people disagree. And eventually you work out a way to, um, work out a way to cover it. I agree. I think dissent and discourse are two very essential things in any democracy. So you have to be able to debate. And we're disagree. losing a bit of that though at the moment, don't you think? I think we're fighting a lot. <laughs> well, people seem to take things personally. personally. This is a very recent phenomenon in the post-social media thing. I think it's become a very... Everyone's sensitive yeah. suddenly. And I've been a vic uh, victim. I've been guilty of that. Like, you know, you get some feedback online and you're like, oh... Okay, well that that stings. Then I'm like, actually no, like whatever. Like yeah, that's that, your that's your opinion. Doesn't mean that I have done something wrong, or that you're necessarily correct or wrong. Like, it, I think you have to hear those criticisms or hear those suggestions and take them on board. Not fire back a missive. Correct. Why why I'm right and you're wrong. Yeah, and, and the reality is you will never be able to make everyone happy. You will no. never be able to cater to everyone's idea of what you should be. So you just have, to, as you said, rightly, you, you have to do what's best. But I think yeah. I think social media is, um, has definitely uh, affected our ability to take on board criticism without taking it personally. I think because you get it, you write one comment and it's just there. It's, yeah. not, a, it's not a natural conversation. You can't read cues, you can't read non-verbal communication yep um your reading of that comment is is under your bias yeah oh don't even get me started on insta bros they just annoy me but that's a different you go to the facebook episode comment section yeah, on I our do. page and it's whew, it's horrendous. it's something else so what's next for you mate do you ever do you in terms of like do you see yourself as an editor show i'm not not sure sorry a tv news producer or broadcaster or any of those aspirations you're harboring at the moment look i i'm enjoying the ride vic um 
I keep getting some good opportunities. I've been lucky to cover <clears throat> two Olympics in, uh, in Rio and Tokyo. Um, a couple of Commonwealth Games. I love that element. How exciting yeah, is that? Yeah, that was a... That's awesome. That was a real bucket list. Unfortunately, we don't have the Olympics for a few years now. Channel 9's got them, so I won't be doing any more games for a while. Um, I don't know. I, I'm happy with where it's at. I, I still think that, like every day you get to do something different, yep. especially as a TV journalist in uh, in a big capital city. Yes. Um, some days I do not like the job. Other days it's the best thing in the world. But I think that's like most people have those days, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think... Um News is very important. I, I can't emphasize this enough. And it's always important to good have... Good news is important. Good news is important. Yeah, like, like, I mean, look at Al, Al Jazeera, the kind of work they do. It's, they're they're it's amazing. amazing. Yeah, I was going to make that works in Al Jazeera in Doha. Like, and uh, very impressed with the stuff that they, they, they put out. Um, part of the fabric of, of news, I don't think every news outlet has to be the same. No, it doesn't have to be the same. Yes, absolutely agree. But it's, as you said, good news. Yeah. Whatever, in, in whichever format or style it may be, it yep. just has to be good Good, solid effective work. news, solid work. Yeah. Yeah. Right, we're almost towards the end of the show. I think I could probably have an, another episode because I can talk to you, looks like, for hours about journalism and, and stuff like that. We ask everyone who comes in the show to say, what's the one thing you love about Melbourne City? There's always something on. Yeah. There's always something to have, something to do. You walk through the CBD. It's very rarely quiet. Um Melbourne gets into its events. It gets into its um, activities. It doesn't matter if it's six degrees and raining. Melbourne's geared for that. Yeah. Growing up in Perth, uh, can't beat Perth in summer. Um, every day is between 28 and 40 degrees, and it's perfect. But in, in winter, Perth hibernates. Like, it's wet. It's wetter than Melbourne. You get more rain in Perth in winter than here. And other than the footy, there's nothing that I found. There was not a whole lot. No big events on. Whereas Melbourne, there's something on every night of the week. Absolutely, like, yeah. You can go out for dinner in the city on a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and there's stuff going on. You can go on. to bars, yeah. restaurants. I mean, there's so much to do. I mean, that means it also means you need to have a good bank balance because sometimes having fun in Melbourne means you've got to spend money. Um, yes. Oh, you could not as well if it depends. I'll give you tips. I'll, I'll do a whole episode on how you can go on, have a good time in Melbourne on a budget. Okay. Because yeah. I feel like at the moment, things are so expensive. Oh my gosh. It is. Of course. I mean, depends on where you go and what you want to do, but there's always options. That's, yeah, what, that's yeah, why yeah. I love Melbourne. You know, there's so many things. There is stuff for everybody. To do. Even just, I just love walking through the city and exploring, finding a laneway I haven't been down. Yeah. Um, but I, I, to answer your question a bit further, I think it goes back to what we were talking about before. Melbourne has this real community spirit. Like yep. it's, it, it has a buy in yes. to itself yep. without being pretentious. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, when we talk about other capital cities, Sydney has that as long as it's fashionable and it's cool. Uh, Perth has that as long as the good, as long as the weather's good, but then it doesn't have the same level of events that we have here. Yeah. And I just feel like Melbourne is quite a friendly city. Not so much during lockdown. It was a little bit of an angry town, but that was completely normal given what we were going through. Yeah. Um, but no, I just love that Melbourne gets into things, like gives it a go. Yeah. And I agree 100%. And the second one is, what is your anthem song? Is there a song, your go-to song, no matter what? So, I have a, I, yeah, look, I have a few. My music taste kind of changes like the wind that my current anthem is written about. Um, Carly Rae Jepsen. Okay. <laughs> Which her, one? Well, it's called Western Wind. Okay. And growing up in, it's written about a California, like technically a California breeze. Yeah. Um, 
but I think it speaks to more than that. And because I grew up in Perth, you might have heard of the Fremantle Doctor or the sea breeze that comes in every day, especially in summer and, and allows you to live in Perth. Um, and then in, in life, it's like coming in like a western wind. I feel like it's a metaphor for life. Like if you can ride the breeze when it's strong, when it's not blowing, you'll be right. Because things come yeah. and go. Happiness comes and goes. Sadness comes and goes. Friendships, yep. love come and go. Yep. And I think you have to acknowledge that sometimes it's going to be blowing hard. Sometimes it's going to be still. Yep. And if you can, if you can ride those ups and downs, then you'll be, you'll be right. Awesome. That's very profound. Is it? I think so. I mean, I, I didn't... I only had half I, a beer, so... <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the point about the wind is quite interesting, right? Like, I didn't... Uh, when I heard that song which was a very long time ago, I probably didn't, maybe I wasn't paying attention or I didn't get that from that song, but it's the way you've described it. It's, like it's a lot more deeper yeah. than than perhaps what necessarily I would have picked up. I love her other song, Run Away With Me, which I think is she, very, very She's good. great. She's I great. I saw her at Golden Plains in, yeah. in March, yeah. having not really subscribed to being a Carly Rae Jepsen fan other than <laughs> Call Me Maybe um, in tw- 2012. Oh, yes. Um, and she was just amazing. Great stage presence, great fun. Um if I had another, maybe another anthem would be like a Moby song, like Porcelain from okay. like the late 90s. Moby's awesome, yes. Moby's great. Oh, he's brilliant. Yeah. Always brilliant. Uh, and sorry, before uh, we wrap up, this, I, I was meant to ask you this question earlier, but I'll ask you now. What's your uh, pulse from the city on the voice What What do you think? Well, Melbourne's the, early... like, clearly most progressive city in the country. Yeah. Um, I think Melbourne supports it. Okay. Generally speaking. Yeah. Um, very interesting to see what Lydia Thorpe, the ex-Green Senator, because she's against the voice yep. now. Um, and some other voices, typically on the left, although dissenting, have come out against it. But I think the fact that it was written by a large group of Indigenous people with the, the um, statement, yep. or a statement from the heart, um, I hope it gets up. Yep. I think it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity yeah. for us. Um, I was worried about when Peter Dutton said that he, you know, the Liberals aren't going to support it. I thought that was an interesting tact because polls are showing that a majority of Australians support the Voice. Yeah. We so just see what if happens. He, yeah, yeah, from that perspective, it was an interesting tact. Whether they're just saying no for the sake of saying no, I'm not sure. Um, I don't think it'll act like a third chamber of parliament I'm a bit more I see the positives in things like what could it be rather than what it shouldn't be yes and I think in general we probably need to look at that a little bit more rather than trying to find the negatives and pull it apart yeah perhaps look at the positives of what it could be yes and I think it's a generational opportunity for change and representation for indigenous Australians cool no, I agree with you 100% I think it's it's important and I think all eyes will be on that everyone is going to be looking forward to what yeah, with that I just it yeah. frustrates me, and it was always going to happen, but it still frustrates me that it becomes a a political. But uh, that's the world we live tool. in, right? No, everything has become a political football, sure. pretty much. Yeah, Unnec- unnecessarily. Yeah, but yeah, that's, that's I just it. hate it when when things on, around human rights, like you know the marriage equality vote, you know, in the end it became a political thing. It did, but you know when that. Uh, it was, I mean, the euphoria when... Oh, that was one of the greatest days just, of my life. Yeah, it was like, you could just through. see everyone, regardless of where they stood at that point in yep. time when the results came out, was somehow euphoric. You cannot help yourself but not be excited I remember, about I'll remember it. that day till oh, I die. Was, and, and I know acknowledging that a lot of people had a particularly difficult time during that campaign, Yeah, especially young queer people whose families might not have supported them. 
But I also believe that sometimes that things that are worth having are not easy. And are worth fighting for. Exactly, yeah. Vic. Yeah. They're worth fighting for. Yeah. I wouldn't have had that same euphoria had it been walked through. Now, the world's not geared for my euphoria, but I think that <laughs> I, surprised. I acknowledge and I understand that moment now more than ever because yes. of the shit fight that we went through to get there. Yes. And... Um, and I'm proud of that day. I'm proud of our country. And I hope that we can replicate that with the, the, the voice. Fingers crossed and hoping for the best. Um, well, we're almost at the end of it. So thank you very much, Blake, for joining Let's Talk Melbourne. I've really enjoyed this conversation. And I genuinely want to thank you and congratulate you for all the work that you've done thank as you. a journalist. And we rely on you. The city relies on you. Uh, and I'm not saying this because you're here. <laughs> I'm just saying this because I think we need good journalists. We desperately need good journalists. And me as a Melbourneian and the city as a whole, um, from what I can understand, is that we definitely support good journalism and we rely on people like you to bring us the news and to keep us informed, engaged, excited and hopeful. And I think that's that's a privilege. So thank you, uh, it's a privilege you. for you, I guess. <laughs> but thank it's an you. absolute privilege. It's a very privileged job. Uh, so thank you for doing what yeah, you're doing. As one well that I say. don't take I don't take lightly. So thank you. Thank 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 you again. Cheers, Matt. We would like to thank our sponsors, Construct Mart and Floors Trading and Clearance Center, uh, and also let you know that this podcast has been recorded from Image Online Studio in Abbotsford. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening and please remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel and also follow us on Instagram at Let's Talk Melbourne.